her and asked Jesus, can my boys sit on your left side and your right side in your kingdom? I don't know if she said it with that accent, but we're in Texas. And Jesus said, it's not for, you know, this, this isn't something you should be asking. You know, he didn't, he didn't answer her question directly. And lo and behold, the first martyr of the 11 devoted disciples got to be her son, John, James. And then the last of the disciples, the 12, the 11, to die was John. He died a natural death. Uh, the, the tradition says, history says, that they tried to deep fry him and he didn't die. So they exiled him to an island in the Greek Isles called Patmos. And while he's there, he's having church. And on Sunday, something happens. Verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These are seven cities in modern-day Turkey. At that time, it was known as Minor Asia in our language. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his mouth as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. On the screen is an artist's rendition of something that he may have seen. Uh, everything he saw about Jesus was very symbolic, and we're just going to look at what a couple of these symbols are. The next verse, 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And then he explains some of what he's seen. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So there are seven churches in the area now known as modern Turkey that Jesus is sending this book to. And part of this book in chapter 2 and 3 are letters, uh, a letter to each of those seven churches. So we are going to look at one of those letters today. We uh, looked at them last Sunday at one of them. Today we're going to look at another one. We're in a, a series, the second week of a series, Seven Churches, Seven Questions from the Jesus Epistles. The question we asked last Sunday, we're not going in sequence per se, was the church that's most like the modern church, the church in Laodicea. When I read that letter, I get this question. Are you who you say you are? And we asked ourselves that question last week. Today, we're going to jump to the beginning to look at probably the best church 
in this group, if not the best, one of the best, the church in Ephesus. Can we go to Ephesians chapter 2? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Keep in mind that's the messengers or the, the leadership of these seven churches who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Keep in mind this is symbolism for these seven churches. All right, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So he's happy with them. These are some good traits. Um, He says, I know your works. This means toil. It's an act of doing. It's labor. It's sweat. The Lord recognizes their uh, doing efforts. Uh, I know your works. Your labor. This this means uh, pain, weariness that can come about. So these people not only worked, but they worked hard. I know your works, your labor, your patience. This is the Greek word hupomone, which means to be cheerful or enduring, patient continuance, willing to wait. These people were, were great people, weren't they? And that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. Keep in mind, this is a church in Ephesus that had its beginning days from the ministry of Paul. So they had received the word of God from some of the best servants. Paul raised up the eldership in their midst. So these people were great people, people who were champions for the truth, people who didn't like error, people who, if a prophet gave a prophecy that didn't come to pass, they would expect him to apologize. Hello, apologize. Hello, America. (laughs) And found them liars. And you have persevered. This means to endure or to lift and have patience. This is that word again, hupomone, to endure with continuing patience. And have labored. Here's the word again for feeling fatigued, to work hard, to be wearied. For my namesake and have not become weary. So he's given them praise. But like any good leader who has a word of correction, Jesus is building a sandwich. You know, you want to be effective in giving correction to your employees, to your staff, to your co-workers, to members of your family. Make a sandwich. The sandwich is, is, has ingredients inside between two slices of bread. Many times when it comes to correction, we make an open-faced sandwich. We just take off of the meat, and then we realize we've messed up, and then we try to come in with the bread. Well, Christ knows how to correct. He brings out the praise first, then comes the meat, and then he ends with a little more praise. Here's the meat. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Can we say first love? love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In other words, I'm going to quit going to your church. I'm going to shut this thing down unless you repent. But this you have, here comes some more praise, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, 
which I also hate. Uh, some people believe that Nikolai was a guy who taught greasy grace. You can do whatever you want. Here's your go-to-heaven-free card. And, uh, you know, God bless you and all your sins. Uh, no call to repentance in the ministry of Nikolai. Other people believe it actually is a word Nicolaitan, which means to conquer the people. It was an oppressive religious system that, that uh, some people fall prey to. And this church stood strong against that. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How many want to have ears to hear? So here's the Spirit through Jesus speaking to a specific church. But if we have ears to hear, we should hear what Jesus has to say to all the churches. Amen? To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So here's today's question. Not yet. First of all, we'll talk about their diversion, then we'll get to the question. Being champions for sound teaching, when it came to the what, the when, the where, and the how questions of life and living for God, this congregation really had it going on. But due to their lack of passion for the Lord, remember they lost their first love, they were losing that answer to that most important question, which asks, why? If we have the why question answered, Everything else will fall into place. This is how churches become religion. This is how Christianity can become as cruel and as dead a religion of do's and don'ts as any other, is if we lose our love and passion for the Lord. We lose the reasons why. Oh, why do we go to church? Because that's just what we do, you know. Why do we wear a necktie? That's just what we do. Why, why, why? But when the passion is there, why do we do what we do? Well, we love the Lord. We love his people. We get to serve him. Why persevere? Why be patient? Why try to prove those teachings that you hear, searching the scriptures like the Bereans to see whether the things you're, hear, you're are saying is so? Because we love the Lord and we love the truth. Why be pure? as we want to please him. Do you see that? So they were diverted from their love for the Lord by their persevering, by their quest for truth and purity, and by their desire to be right, they had been diverted. Um, Oswald Chambers said this, Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus. The greatest competitor of devotion to him is service for him. It's possible to be in love with the work of the Lord and not in love with the Lord of the work. So my question today is, are you almost devoted? Almost. Can we say that together? Are you almost devoted? They were a great church, but they needed correction in this one area to be truly devoted to Jesus. Someone may ask, hey, Jesus, give these people a break. After all, they have more going on for you than any other church in Ephesus. At the time, they were the only one. Surely all these other things you're complimenting them for can make up for their not being so pleasing to you. Doesn't almost count for anything around here? Jesus, you're being unreasonable. In this day and time, when kids are allowed to take calculators to math class, and even losing teams get the trophy. 
it seems as though almost is, is on equal ground with actual. But in the kingdom of God, we live in the realm of the truth. What is it about us that wants to value our almost as much as our actuals? Like children who try to excuse an act of rebellion by saying they almost didn't disobey, it is always sin's nature to try reaching for any reason to justify ourselves. An almost flying bird can't fly. An almost... Uh, I could go into other things, but... You know, do you want your children to almost be intelligent? Your babies to almost look good? (laughs) Your government to almost not be broke? The absurdity of almost. Watch this. This is Jack Chance. Today, someone almost brought Jack something to eat. Someone almost drove him to a shelter. And someone else almost brought him a warm blanket. And Jack Thomas? Well, he almost made it through the night. This is Sarah Watkins. A lot of people almost helped her. One almost cooked for her. Another almost drove her to the doctor. Still another almost stopped by to say hello. They almost helped. They almost gave of themselves. This is a family that was almost fed by neighbors who almost volunteered to help them out. Almost volunteered. These kids almost had a new community center. A contractor almost volunteered to build it. A carpenter almost worked on the crew. And everyone else almost gave at the fundraiser. They almost gave. Almost. And these kids? Well, they almost stayed out of trouble. This house was almost saved from a fire that was almost put out by neighbors who almost volunteered. I believe it was King Agrippa that told Paul... Almost you've persuaded me to be a Christian. There's no such thing as almost going to heaven. Almost having it all together many times can make us resistant to anyone bringing us correction. Especially if it is something that we see as only one small thing. But we would do well to remember that one small thing can bring down a house like one small colony of termites. As we learned years ago in our second home, one small leak can ruin the floor in your trailer house. One link can break the chain. When it comes to raising your children, Michael Jackson had it wrong. One bad apple does spoil the whole bunch must guard who our children hang out with. One bite of forbidden fruit brought down the human race. The Bible says the little foxes spoil the vine. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11.3, I know know 
Now I'm afraid that exactly as a snake seduced Eve with his smooth words, you are being lured away from the simple purity of your love for Jesus. Just one small thing. One harbored sin. One hidden iniquity. One bitter root. One vow or one judgment. One secret stronghold of unforgiveness or one act of unfaithfulness can rob us of the potential good that God has for us. In less than an hour, a one-night stand can possibly destroy the foundation of trust that it took years to build. What would you like to hear on your wedding day? Watch this. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to witness the union of two lives, that of James and Sarah. James, do you take Sarah to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I do. And Sarah, do you now take... I have written my own hops. By all means. James, I love you. I cherish every moment that we spend together. You're my hero and my friend. I promise that I will love you, honor you, care for you, and support you for the rest of my life. There's only one thing I ask in return. One day a year, only one day, I want to be single again. I want to be able to spend time with old boyfriends. Guy hunting, clubbing, that sort of thing. Whatever comes up for the day. Well, what do you think? Well, James, it sounds reasonable to me. Are you kidding? You must all be out of your minds. What's the problem? What more could you possibly want from me? Yeah, James, what exactly do you want? What do I want? Well, I don't want you on a part-time. Uh, I want all of you. All of you should belong to me. Well, that's how this thing works. video is called 364. So we've seen how almost doesn't get it. And we've seen how important one is. And we could go on and on. I just It's a fascinating discovery you'll make if you discuss with your friends how much one can make a difference. But not to, not to belabor the point, they almost were totally devoted to the Lord. 
there was one area where they were dropping the ball. It was in the area of their first love. And the remedy the Lord gave them was remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works. So you could say it like this for the purpose of alliteration. Remember, repent, and return. Call those the three R's of personal revival. Remember from where you have fallen. Do you remember when, if you've been a believer very long, where you were totally sold out to the Lord? you remember where? you remember what? you remember how things worked out? Jesus Christ says to remember. Last couple of days, I've been trying to remember. and I've, I've been remembering 1975. I'd moved to Austin, Texas from a small town, a smaller town in Illinois to that big city filled with temptations. And I never wavered in my devotion to the Lord. Not because of legalism, because I was just on fire for the Lord. I just loved him with all my heart. I had the first love going on. The word first love means foremost love. It's, it's not some deal, try to remember what your first girlfriend was like. He's not saying that. Remember who's most important. Who first loved us? The Lord. And remember when that was really an important thing in your life. Repent. That is, turn from the distractions toward primary love, the love of God, with all your heart and mind and life. And return. Begin a personal quest for gaining spiritual ground. My purpose in my talk today is to challenge every person in this room to begin a quest. Not to finish reading a book or not to do a specific exercise, but set yourself on a quest to regain ground that maybe you've never had. Maybe maybe you're just now beginning to get to know Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to turn it up a notch. Take another step closer to him. The Bible says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Maybe you've known the Lord and you've fallen away. I'm encouraging you to get back up. Get back on the path of following him and get on a quest to know him like you've never been before. And maybe you've been faithful to him all your years. And you got the what's, the when's, the where's, and the how's going on. But the why has kind of lost itself in the clutter. Restore your walk with the Lord. The passion for the Lord is an amazing thing. But I think it couldn't be regained just by a quick prayer or just by having someone lay hands on you. I encourage you. Those things are important. But set yourself on a quest. Lord, I want to do whatever it takes to regain my first love for you. So here's how to do that quest. Here's, here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm letting you guys in on my personal deal, my spiritual quest. I'm going to regularly worship and pray in corporate settings. I'm starting on Wednesdays throughout through the summer, uh, three prayer meetings, 6 a.m., 12 p.m., 6 p.m. You're welcome to come join me. We probably won't pray longer than an hour unless, you know, unless things really begin to happen. But we're going to seek the Lord together, pray for our church, pray up a storm for one another, pray for our jobs, pray for our families, and pray most of all for our first love devotion to him. Routinely, routinely have personal worship and prayer times. 
if you want Sunday morning to do it all for you so you can go on the rest of the week and just be on fire for the Lord and not have a personal time with him, you're shortchanging yourself. There's more for you than what Sunday morning can give. Remove anything from your life that gets in the way. Whatever it could be. Maybe something sinful, maybe something innocent, maybe something good. But set yourself on a quest, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an on-fire believer for the Lord. You know, why not? Why not? You'll never regret it. Read the word and media that encourages this quest. Maybe you're not a reader. Well, you, you can get books on, on CD now. And whatever form of media that encourages you in your quest to know the Lord. I'm not talking about a charismatic fad. I'm talking about things that encourage our walk with the Lord, your personal walk. Refine your heart in the crucible of reconciliation. The enemy will try to distract you from your first love with someone being offended at you or you being offended at someone And the reconciliation process is like fire. It just absolutely is tough. But I tell you, it makes us more like Jesus. And remember to remember, remember to repent, and remember to return. Can we stand? pray. Father, I pray for every person here that our walk with you would become more important than it has ever before. Not because we want to do the right thing, but because we love you. So Lord, show us where our love for you has waned and bring us back, back to the place where we first received you. I pray, Lord, for those who have never received you that are in this room today. I pray, Lord, that they would open their hearts up to the possibility of them being forgiven of their sins and getting to know God on this quest for heaven, this this journey, this adventure. Lord, reveal yourself to them in ways that they never dreamed and generate in them a hunger to know you. Lord, I pray every person hearing this today that hunger in their heart to begin a quest to regain spiritual ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Question today is, are you almost devoted? Some of you come to church once a month, once a quarter, you're kind of bi-monthly attenders. I commend you for that. It's great. And what I'm talking about is more than being more faithful in church attendance. I'm talking about are you truly devoted to Jesus Christ? You could come here every time the doors are open and not be truly devoted to Jesus. Might be devoted to generations or to religion or to this group, but are we truly devoted to Jesus? I want to invite you to come tonight as we devote ourselves to the Lord in a prolonged time of worship with other believers from around our city. I want to encourage you to consider joining me on Wednesday, either in the morning or in the midday or in the early evening.
Most of all, in your own personal time with the Lord, do it. Deal with those things that would be in your way and reach for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Look around for someone you don't know and make them welcome to the house of the Lord. God bless you.